Hello. I, uh, I pray that all of you are well and are blessed by the uh, presence of God and are using this time of for solitude, of um, quarantine, I guess, to draw closer to Jesus. Let's be constructive with the time that we have. And we, the reality is we, we have very hectic lives under normal conditions. We seem to be driven by one urgent need that requires our immediate attention to the next uh, need that seems equally important, equally urgent. Something is always vying for our attention. It seems like we can get one thing done and there's the next thing that needs to be done. Because of this, I believe that sometimes we partition off a space, a well-defined space in our lives for the Lord. We, we give him some of our precious time, but we have to ask our, ourselves a, a question. Is, is it quality time? And is it, and is it in the appropriate quantity? Do we give God our first or do we give God our remnant? Does Jesus get our best or does he get our leftovers? I think we understand the necessity um, of communion and interaction with the divine. But perhaps because of the frenetic pace of our lives, we, we have allowed ourselves to be swept along and accepting an anemic spiritual connection to God as the unavoidable consequence of modern life. So it's really been my prayer that in this unique moment in our history that we become vessels of that supernatural peace that emanates from God. I pray that we walk in a richer and deeper relationship with him that we use this time to our advantage. It's my sincere hope that we, who are called his children, would begin to reevaluate our priorities and reevaluate our perspectives so that in the end we can blossom into the vessels that we were really designed to be. We are really, we're really so blessed in that we were created with a purpose and that purpose is it's tethered to the nature and character of our creator we often I, I think imagine that being the image bearer of God as we have been talking about for the last few weeks being his ambassadors to this world we kind of look at it as a, a somewhat burdensome task unfortunately but in reality, it's much more than simply a responsibility. It's, it's also liberating. And it's an understanding that our position and, and design is powerful, and it's joyous, and it's uplifting. So with that in mind, we're going to continue with our series, and this will actually be the conclusion of it. Uh, on being the image of God. And today's lesson is the fifth. And um, 
my kind of the subtitle is going to be the foundation and fountain of love the foundation and fountain of love now, in our last lesson we began to speak of the love that is integral to the actual character of God and we began to study the concept of love and we did that because its accurate demonstration through us is essential to being the accurate image and ambassador of God. And remember what we're striving for is accuracy. Part of our text last week came from 1 John chapter 4 and I'd like to kind of go back to that scripture setting Verse 17 says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. And I use that phrase as our subtitle, as he is, so are we. Because I believe it speaks to us walking as the image of God, walking as his accurate ambassadors in this world. This scripture and those preceding it helps illustrate the transformative power and necessary expression, necessary expression of love in the follower of Christ. That expression of love it is a marker or indicator of authentic relationship with God. That love flowing through the individual who has been filled with God's Spirit is an indicator of connection to God. Allowing the agape love of God to influence and inform our behavior and interactions with those around us helps to validate our professions of truth and faith. When we speak of the character of God, when we, when we are witnessing to someone, we're doing it in more ways than just the spoken word. People are scrutinizing our lives. They're evaluating what we do in comparison to what we say. Do we speak of love and do we demonstrate love? Accurate demonstrations of God's love in our lives punctuates it punctuates our declarations of the reality of God's existence. John, in his writing, is explaining um, in chapter 4 that we see God through love. Verse 11 in chapter 4 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, if he so deeply loved us, we ought also to love one another. We see that, that one thing naturally follows another in relation to God's love. Our relationship with him and our comportment or behavior to others in this world should be informed and influenced by the love that was shed abroad in our hearts. John is basically saying that since God loved us so deeply, we should then by logical extension extend that love to someone else God's love was never meant to be bottled up or possessed 
and, re and retained as a commodity, but rather allowed to flow through us. And that's a problem that we as humans have. We are, we are in a sense, uh, educated or, or conditioned, if you will, to want to control and contain and, and retain valuable things. We see positive things as, as commodities and assets to us. So we want to hold on to them and use them for our benefit. That's not how God's love is. Verse 12 says, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Verse 13 says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us his spirit. And I, I like the New Living Translation uh, translation for this text. It says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. And I really like uh, that that verbiage and that vocabulary. His love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Again, we understand through this text that one thing instigates another in regards to God's love and his indwelling spirit within us. John reiterates a fact that we came to understand in Moses' interaction with God that no man can see God and live. So that's established. And then we go beyond that. But, but, so no man can see God and live, but humanity can and should see the evidence of God's reality and presence in those who have been saved and transformed by the new, new birth experience and who are endeavoring to walk in that new life. We can easily, I believe, extrapolate from this passage of Scripture that being the image of God in this world requires the accurate expression of his unique love. It kind of reminds me of electricity, you really, you can't see electrical current unless it animates or powers something. You, you walk into a dark room and you may, and there may or may not be electricity. You can't see it. You only know that there's electricity present when you turn on the light and the light comes on. This scripture goes on to tell us that in union and fellowship with Jesus, love is completed and perfected within us, and subsequently this imbues us or imparts us with confidence when we stand before him. We learned through the study of scripture that the specific word agape, love, that describes the nature of God is not rooted in the carnal appetites of mortal man. We learned about the Greek uh, words used to, to depict love in classical Greek literature, eros and philean, and of course agape. We, we kind of went into detail with that. So nor does agape depict the simple 
concept of camaraderie and closeness between friends. It doesn't, it's not rooted in the carnal appetites of man, and it does not depict uh, uh, love between friends, that, that platonic love that binds family and associates together. Although that love is beautiful and it is necessary, it cannot reach the heights and depths of that godly love that compelled our Savior, that compelled Jesus to humble himself to become the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus withstood the humiliation that was heaped upon him and the pain because he loved us. I have frequently quoted the scripture in Romans chapter 5 that illustrates so much about the composition of that agape love that is intrinsic to the constitution and makeup of Jesus, of our Lord. And it's really a scripture that we really need to inscribe in our minds and our hearts. It says, but God demonstrates, demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We begin to see a pattern in the Bible's depiction of agape love. It's, it's not simply a feeling within us, but more accurately a force that compels the individual to action. I mean, let's read that. The scripture says God demonstrated his love toward us. It was demonstrated through his, his sacrifice. We, we just read that his love is meant to be brought to full expression through us. Full expression through us. We have a tendency to want to retain things. I kind of spoke about that earlier, especially things that are beneficial to us or things that make us feel good. This is born from the carnal, not the spiritual. And let's talk about that for a moment. Jesus in his writing, John in his writing, I'm sorry, draws a distinction between equating God is love and love is God. Those are not the same things. He's not trying to elevate the nature of God above God. Or, in other words, to elevate the this integral aspect of God's nature out of proportion. He is not asserting that anyone who has had romantic feelings or a warm, kind disposition toward another in their heart to have encountered God. What he was asserting in 1 John chapter 4 is that God is so loving and that and that love is such an intimate aspect or attribute of his character and that because his nature is so closely linked with love that he is love. The problem that we encounter in our culture today is one of distorted perception. And I would like to establish it's one of willful or intentional distortion of perception. Modern society has a view of God that carries with it a really a cheap view of love. It is a perception in which 
all of the other attributes of God are removed from his character and overshadowed by the singular attribute of his love. Because of this world's twisted view of love and its inappropriate inappropriate application to the agape love of God, both the concept and understanding of God and of love is diminished in the minds of man. And I believe that's intentional. The most fundamental inclination of fallen humanity when considering the character of God is to change the truth of God for a lie. To manipulate that truth so it approximates the truth but isn't the truth. To apply carnal logic to the divine in order to incorporate human fiction into biblical truth. We have to be extremely careful that we don't fall for this deception. We aren't careful. This deception can lead to the sin of idolatry. What do we mean by, what do I mean by, by that? Well, at any time we exchange the accurate depiction and appreciation of the true God for a lesser concept or one that is constructed by our own minds, we are in reality engaged in idolatry. That manufactured, distorted concept that is elevated to the preeminent place of our hearts and minds, no matter how emotionally satisfying, is is inaccurate. When God is stripped of his attributes of holiness and sovereignty, that creation is as much an idol as something that is carved from stone. We have to be extremely careful that we do not substitute for the biblical God an entity or thing that is inappropriately reduced in its character and being by this one attribute of love. One writer said this, God is not made up of parts, like one part sovereignty, one part justice, one part immutability, one part omniscience, and one part love. God is all of his attributes at all times. So to understand any singular attribute of God, you must understand that attribute as it relates to and connects with all the other attributes of God. Now I mentioned earlier that accurate demonstrations of God's love in our lives punctuates our declarations of the reality of God's existence. What does that look like? What does it encompass? What is it birthed within our lives? How is God's love expressed through us so that we are accurate image bearers of God? And that's what we're striving for. Truth and accuracy. I believe that Jesus kindly gave us examples of this so that we can be his faithful and authentic ambassadors and, and images. Jesus, I'm thinking of a particular instance when Jesus had an exchange with a religious leader, or it's said in the Bible, a scribe, that underscores the requirement that the spiritually imported love within us be allowed to flow actively, but to flow actively to all of those around us, not to a select few which is the natural inclination of man. 
Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34 says this. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now you'll notice that the Lord appropriately and accurately establishes first his sovereignty, his oneness, his uniqueness. He then links that sovereignty to our expression of love toward him. Verse 30, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. This was a truth that was ingrained into the national psyche of the Jewish nation all the way back in the Pentateuch. Verse 31 says, And the second, like it, is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. We see within these script within these scriptures that extending godly agape love to those around us is non-negotiable in relation to our walk with God and by extension our necessity in being accurate images of God. Let's continue to read. Verse 32 says, So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all of the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. It comes naturally to humanity to love our family, to love those in our inner circle, but to be the image of God, our love must extend, it must extend into places and to people that would normally abrade our nature if we were unchanged. We'll read this in our Lord's Sermon on the Mount as he challenges us not us to not stop at simply loving our neighbor, but to walk as he walked and to love as he loved. Matthew chapter 5, verses 40 through 48 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now you'll notice, kind of an aside, you'll notice that the Lord prefaces this statement with, You've heard it said, rather than for it is written. The reason for this is that the religious establishment of that day had deviated from Holy Scripture and were teaching doctrines derived by man. So that's why the Lord made that distinction. Verse 44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That's a hard, high standard. Verse 45, that ye that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? This admonishment illustrates the distinctive difference between human love and its capacities and the agape love which is rooted in the character of God. It is a love that extends into those places of pain, betrayal, and heartache that are hostile to anything but the transcendent love of God. The wasteland of human cruelty serves as the backdrop onto which God displays his goodness and love through those who are his image. Love your enemies. That's hard, but it's necessary. That points to Jesus. Bless those who curse you. Don't trade insults. Don't diminish your witness. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. When we read these words spoken by Jesus, we begin to understand just how much agape love and normal human love deviate from one another. When God makes his appeal to humanity through those who are his image bearers, ambassadors, it will be in those places that require supernatural love, in places and under circumstances where expressed love must have a heavenly origin. Now, when we read verse 48, we understand that it points to the indisputable fact that of his expectations for accuracy. Verse 48 says, Therefore, you shall be perfect, you, by extension, you and I, shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect, to be followers of Christ and walk and love as we must in this world, positions us, so that we declare the goodness, holiness, immutability, and love of God to this world. We understand by experience and the teaching in the word that God's love is both foundation and fountain. It is a fountain for his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. And we are expected to emulate him. A beautiful illustration of this is revealed to us in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I'm not going to read that. I would, I would really encourage you to read it. A woman was caught in the act of adultery and was correctly positioned by those who caught her before the Lord for execution according to the law. Now those men and that woman really represents the whole of humanity. A humanity that desperately needs to see an accurate image and expression of God. You see, many stand in the presence of our holy, loving God, desiring and attempting to hide their corrupted nature from the only being willing and capable of redirecting their spiritual pathway. Many try in vain to camouflage their failures, not understanding that Jesus knows our darkest secrets. He knows our darkest secrets and loves us anyway. Now, that doesn't mean he, he doesn't tolerate our sin. But because of his love, he chose to become the door by which we could be redeemed and walk in relationship with him. Why? 
Why did he do this? Because it's his nature. His actions reveal his nature, just as our actions should reveal the nature of he who is within us. He is holy. He is separate from sin, but he is also love. This is our directive. He is our template. When we are filled with his spirit, we become vessels of the Most High God. When this happens, we step into a position that we were designed for. In conclusion, if we are striving to be his image, if we are striving to be accurate, faithful ambassadors, we must be consistent in our faith. We must be unwavering and steadfast. We are not to look for alternatives. We are to be holy as he is holy. Distancing ourselves from the profane, low things of this world. We are to be unencumbered by the value systems, mentalities, and motivations of fallen humanity. And we must love as he loves. We must allow his love, that agape love that resides within us, to be the wellspring for forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our lesson. And it really is my hope that you have not only been blessed by this short series, but that it somehow helps you to align yourself more accurately with, with his expectations of us. God bless you.